This is Global Tennessee, news analysis and commentary from the Tennessee World Affairs Council in Nashville. Global Tennessee is produced in association with the Center for International Business at Belmont University and the International Business Council of the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce. The World Affairs Council is a nonpartisan, nonprofit educational association, and the views expressed on Global Tennessee are those of the participants. Welcome to the May 12th edition of Global Engagement. I'm Patrick Ryan. And I'm Dick Powers. Today we're going to talk about the top five topics in the news from the past week. Uh, first, let me remind you that you can find all of the Tennessee World Affairs Council uh, webinars and uh, podcasts and all of our digital uh, material on uh, on our website. That's uh, tnwac.org. And uh, we invite you to... Uh, to take a look at uh, at those uh, items that that we produce uh, as part of our digital program, they they include this show, digital uh, global engagement uh, that Ambassador Bowers and I do every Tuesday at 2 p.m. A global dialogue, a speakers program, and global Nashville with Carl Dean. Those uh, alternate on Tuesday evenings at 7 p.m. Uh, we've uh, recently started uh, putting out information about the digital productions of uh, other World Affairs Councils in a weekly newsletter called Virtual Globe. So we invite you to uh, become a subscriber to the TNWAC newsletter. Just go to the website and you can sign up for that. Okay, let's see. And uh, let me also mention that uh, every Monday at 10 a.m. you can get the What in the World weekly quiz. Uh, it's a uh, challenging uh, summation of what's uh, been going on in uh, the previous week's news. Uh, Ambassador Bowers, you um, you are a regular quiz taker, and you do uh, pretty darn well. I am well. a regular quiz taker, and sometimes you put some ringers in there that, uh, what, where do you get this? But most of the time, I'm up in the 70-day, you know, 80, 90% tile. But uh, the key here is you can't use Google. So nope. you, either, you either know it or you don't know it, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so that's every Monday. Uh, you can you can subscribe. Uh, go to the uh, tnwac.org uh, news uh, website and get the newsletter. And every Monday at 10 a.m. you'll you'll have the quiz. Uh, and just a reminder: if um, you want to be eligible for the prize that goes along with the quiz, uh, you should uh, become a uh, a member of the World Affairs Council. Okay, uh, Dick, do you want to uh, run us through what we're going to talk about today? Well, we're going to be drilling down on the following five topics that are in the news. And of course, the number one event kind of thing is the COVID news. And so we'll talk about some numbers and figures and what's going on and, and particularly what's uh, COVID doing in other parts of the world in Davidson County. Second topic is going to be Russia and election interference. And we're going to just basically give some background and context to this because this has been going on for some time and there was a lot of concern as to whether uh, it's over and evidently it's not because the third thing we're going to talk about is the current developments of Russia and election interference. Fourth topic is China-U.S. relations and uh, that's an ongoing evolving story. Uh, lots of interesting things going on. And then finally, uh, middle powers and diplomacy. There's some interesting developments going on, primarily led by Australia, where middle powers, i.e. not great powers like China and the United States, 
uh, not developing powers, but middle powers are starting to take initiatives in the international arena, which is uh, changing the scope of how diplomacy is done around the world and what's going on. So those are the first, first five. Um, COVID news is the first snapshot. Have you got some data for us, Pat? Yeah, let's, uh, let's take a look at uh, what, what has been happening on, uh, on that front for uh, the last week. And uh, we do have some, uh, some numbers here. Uh, every week we take a, a look at the global statistics and, you know, like uh, most other places that people turn to news, uh, Dick, when we uh, look for world news, uh, it's uh, consumed with what's going on in, in the pandemic right. crisis, as, as it should be. This is quite, uh, quite a spectacular event. Changing the world and changing our lives. So, so every week we, uh, we run through the numbers and uh, in, in this uh, week's uh, summation, we've jumped from 3.6 million cases globally to 4.3 million and uh, the deaths have uh, jumped up uh, from 255,000 to 289,000. And as you can see, the United States is still um, at the, uh, the top of the list for total cases. Um, Russia. How, how do you how do you feel about the accuracy of the data? Uh, well, yeah, that's that's a a question we have to keep in mind. Uh, there's a lot of skepticism over some of the reporting, especially the uh, the numbers from China, and and I was going to uh, make a note that uh, that eighty two thousand probably is uh, is not an accurate number, but th that's a good question. Well, the, you know, the uh, the data sources are the individual countries and they may or may not want to, uh, uh, or be able to uh, get their arms around what, what all the, the numbers yeah. are. But uh, this is a good snapshot to see, uh, to see what's going on with uh, some of these countries and, and where the United States ranks in the, in the cases. Uh, the CDC, which I think is, uh, is uh, pretty good uh, information, um, has uh, the US uh, crossing the 80,000 mark for deaths as a result of COVID-19. And you can see in the uh, the two, uh, last week, the smaller map and uh, this week, that the uh, the reporting numbers, the, the darkest color last week was 25,000 or more. And this week it's now 40,000 or more. So uh, California, for example, and Illinois, uh, you can see that um, uh, the upper Midwest, the, uh, the numbers are going up. Uh, so, uh, you know, we're we're looking at uh, reopening things, but uh, we have to be cautious as to what the. So, when how do you feel about the reopening? Davidson County, where where you and I are sitting right now, Nashville, um, they're opening back up to a certain extent. Right. And I I am fearful that this is going to lead to another spike, and rather than dampening down and getting so, the the, the trade-off between trying to get back to economic normal, while at the same time trying to maintain the necessary social distancing to flatten out these curves. I'm not sure we've got that right yet. No, I, I agree. And I don't think anybody's making the argument that uh, the opening uh, will not see uh, an increase in, in the number of infections. Uh, it's it's kind of dismaying when you see some of the collections of people. The other day, there was uh, a picture that went uh, viral, at least in our community, of yeah. a gathering at a, a restaurant or a bar or someplace in Franklin. Franklin 
and um, everybody was just huddled together, no masks, no social distancing. So yeah, you're right. I think uh, the the reopening is is going to see a, a spike. All right. So uh, that's that's the uh, the numbers on uh, COVID, and uh, we're going to take a, a snapshot of uh, just a couple of uh, uh, things going on. Uh, How about if I jump in with the U.S.-Mexico story? Okay. There are a whole lot of Americans that are down in Mexico, uh, both gringos, i.e. people who are not of Mexican heritage, who have gone down there to retire, as well as a number of dual citizens. They hold Mexican passports as well as U.S. passports. And there is some growing concern in the United States that if this COVID takes off uh, more rapidly in Mexico, a lot of these American passport holders will head north. And that could have a very adverse uh, impact on the health systems, especially in the border area states of Texas, New Mexico, and Arizona, and maybe California. So that's something to keep our eye on as uh, this thing evolves. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, the, the, the WHO, the World Health Organization, has uh, been in the news a lot. And uh, one of the items in the news this past week talked about the WHO uh, being optimistic that uh, there were some treatments that appeared to be limiting uh, the effects of COVID-19 disease. And they're focusing on uh, four or five of the most uh, promising ones. And I think uh, remesdivir um, was, uh, was among those uh, four or five that they're looking at. They also, uh, the WHO also said that uh, there are more than 100 potential COVID-19 vaccines being developed, uh, including several that are in clinical trials. So that's uh, hopeful. But they did say that, um, that a vaccine would take at least 12 months to, uh, to deploy. So that's a long process, but it's, uh, it's good that there are that many trials uh, going on. Yeah. Sort of the tail end of that story, Pat, once, once a vaccine is developed, and I'm confident that given the state of science in the world, it will happen, the whole production cycle, how much vaccine do you ramp up, how fast, and who gets it, and who doesn't get it, because the right. distribution issue is going to be out there. But that said, in the United Kingdom, um, COVID deaths topped 38,000 as of early May by far the worst of, of, in all of Europe. And that's raising questions about Prime Minister Boris Johnson's handling of the Karova crisis. The United Kingdom official death toll rose to 38,289 as of May 3rd, nearly 6,000 more deaths in a one week period. So Johnson has set out a gradual plan now to get Britain back to work including advice on wearing homemade face coverings and things of that sort. But there's a lot of confusion, it seems, as to how this message is rolling out and they need to be doing a better job. So even after adjusting for population, Britain still ranks among the countries worst affected by the pandemic in a list that includes Belgium, Spain, and Italy in Europe. Yeah, there's uh, also an increase in uh, in the infection rate in, in Russia, and you know, as as this thing was uh, developing, Russia wasn't much in the news, uh, Dick. As we uh, were looking at the numbers around the world go up, and everybody was wondering what was going on, and and some of that might have, you know, you you mentioned the reporting of numbers, and uh, there were skeptics that uh, Russia might not be uh, reporting what their numbers, but uh, we now are seeing more data from Russia and they are now the second highest uh, infections in the world with 232,000 uh, 
and they're they're behind only the United States, which is over a million uh, cases of, mm. of COVID-19. Uh, Putin, however, uh, despite the uh, the surge in infections, has called for a lift of the nationwide restrictions that uh, has seen uh, Russians uh, staying at home uh, as much as uh, as we've done here. Uh, but an opposition leader is uh, blaming Putin with uh, putting the uh, onus on uh, regional governors uh, to take the heat off himself as far as uh, prescribing what uh, what the restrictions should be. And that, yeah. that, that sort of mimics uh, a tactic we've seen in, in other countries, um, Brazil in particular, uh, Bolsonaro uh, didn't uh, want people to stay at home and he, he put the, uh, the responsibility on regional governors there. Do you and, think and, that that's happening here in the United States? Well, I was, I was going to say, some would say that, um, that the federal government is also uh, giving, giving sway to governors and, and yeah. the, the political implication is to, to wash their hands. I'm not, of, I'm of not responsible, right? Give it somebody else. Hey, speaking yeah. of Russia, you and Marietta did a wonderful job last week. The lovely well, thank you. Yeah, Marietta I, uh, I was going to mention that. Professor uh, Marietta Velikova from uh, Belmont University and, and a member of our uh, Tennessee World Affairs Council board sat in <laughs> for uh, my colleague, uh, Ambassador Bowers, and uh, did a fantastic job talking about uh, what's, what's going on. You'll in have to come back and give me more time off. Uh, <laughs> well, maybe we'll just have a, a, a third seat here. You know? well, well, you could do that too. And the kind of the, the loosen things up. Anyway, okay. Speaking of Russia. Speaking so of we, Russia. You want to start us off on that, or you want me to try? Sure. No, no. Well, uh, I'll uh, I'll take a a crack at uh, topic two, uh, Russian interference. Um, let me first mention before we get uh, into this, and, and we're going to divide this into two topics, one uh, background and context, and then we're going to talk about what's going on now in terms of uh, Russia uh, and uh, information warfare and cyber activities uh, aimed at uh, influencing the 2020 election. Uh, last October, excuse me, last October I had the opportunity to interview Malcolm Nance for our podcast, uh, Global Tennessee. And uh, Malcolm is um, uh, a former retired Navy senior chief petty officer who was a cryptologist. Uh, and uh, Ambassador Bowers, your, your uh, resume includes uh, time as a cryptologist working in uh, uh, Berlin. Berlin. Yeah. You were, uh, you were, Peeking in on the on the Russians Peeking at the time. Peeking in on the Russian radios. Yeah, it was well, a long time ago, like about fifty years ago now, right? Yeah, about sixty years ago. Gosh. Well, Malcolm, Malcolm Nance was uh, was an Navy senior chief, and then uh, after he retired, he got involved in uh, consulting on terrorism, counterterrorism. Uh, was uh, was very active. He served in Iraq, uh, helping uh, the effort there. Uh, so he he's a, a pretty uh, smart guy. And yep. a couple of years ago, uh, before the 2016 election, he got interested in uh, cyber warfare activities and basically uh, wrote the book on what was going on in the 2016 uh, campaign against the United States election. So if, if you uh, visit Amazon, look for Malcolm Nance, and uh, you can uh, uh, take a look at what... Uh, what well, he's, you, did a, uh, you did a podcast with him, Pat, and it was an excellent podcast. Well, right? thank, thank you very much. I was just going to uh, uh, dive into that just a, a little bit more. Uh, okay. I, I would suggest that people take a look at the podcast. 
uh, our episode 33 in the Global Tennessee podcast. And uh, those are available uh, on our website or at soundcloud.com slash TNWAC. Uh, and uh, you'll, you'll learn that, um, uh, Malcolm, we, we talked for over an hour, which for podcasts is, is probably beyond the conventional wisdom. But uh, No, uh, it's worth every minute of it. He's a smart cookie. The guy is is that knowledgeable, so you you learn uh, in in deep detail from from Malcolm what the what the tactics and techniques that uh, are being employed by Russia in their cyber information campaigns. So let's uh, let's turn to the timeline, uh, Dick. We're we're gonna go through some of the uh, some of the warnings and alerts uh, that were issued, uh, starting with uh, a statement in October 2016 a month before the election, the last presidential election, uh, there was a joint statement from the Department of Homeland Security and the Office of the Director of National Intelligence uh, on the, the subject of election security. And that was, uh, I believe, Secretary Jay Johnson and um, not Coates. Yeah, Dan, uh, was it Daniel Coates? No, he was He was brought in by uh, Trump. Leader. Will, uh, We'll get back to you on that one. But uh, Secretary Jay Johnson of Homeland Security uh, and the ODNI issued the statement. Brennan? National Security? No, I, he, he was CIA. Okay. While I'm talking, you can Google it. <laughs> Good to have a team working here. But the uh, the October statement basically said that they were the intelligence community, which uh, is comprised with um, uh, 17 different agencies in the U.S. government, um, primarily the, the CIA and the NSA and the DIA uh, get together in the State Department on, on these sorts of uh, uh, statements, and they concluded that they were confident the Russian government had directed uh, compromises of U.S. persons and institutions, and that uh, the, the thefts and disclosures were intended to Im impact the U.S. election. Uh, there was some indication that uh, the Russians were involved in uh, looking at uh, systems related to local election um, uh, control, but uh, no indication that they had penetrated any of that. So uh, following that, in January, uh, before uh, President Trump was sworn in, but after he was uh, elected, um, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence released another statement in which uh, he concluded that, that Putin had in fact ordered the, uh, the cyber and information warfare attack and that it was intended to influence the campaign uh, in the favor of President Trump. Um, they, James Clapper. Clapper. James right. Clapper was the Director of National Intelligence in 2016. That's right. Very good. Thank you. I don't know how I uh, forgot that. I worked for him at the uh, at the Defense Intelligence Agency back back no. in the back in the day. Um, okay. So the the January statement uh, again pointed to Russia pointed directly to Putin and uh, said that uh, the effort was to influence uh, the U.S. elections. So after that, there was a, another statement. Uh, it, it was called the Mueller Report. And uh, you may remember, you know, we don't want to get too involved in, in politics here, but the Mueller Report, uh, Volume 1, uh, investigated the uh, 
the extent of Russian interference in the 2016 elections. And uh, they concluded, or uh, uh, Mr. Mueller concluded, that uh, the Russian interference was sweeping and systemic. Uh, that uh, the major attacks were through social media, information warfare, and, uh, you know, Dick, information warfare has been a, a tactic um, for millennia. Uh, people have uh, tried to uh, influence uh, adversaries through information war techniques. Uh, but uh, Let me interrupt for a second. I think on, on the slide there's a typo in there. The Mueller report, didn't that come out in 19, 2019? Uh, yes, that, that is a typo. Thank you okay. for catching that. Um, Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I want our audience to get false information here. No fake news on this program. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We'll, fi we'll have to uh, fix that typo. Good catch, uh, uh, Ambassador Bowers. Um, okay, so then the, the, uh, the next report, and this is uh, filling out the background and the timeline, was... Um, uh, again, well, that's the Mueller report again. Let's get to the uh, the right slide. No. Uh, okay. Well, we'll uh, we'll pop out of the slides. But the uh, the next report was the Senate Select Committee on uh, Intelligence, uh, and that was the United States Senate. And this was a bipartisan report. It was uh, led by uh, a Republican chairman and a Democrat uh, ranking member. And they, uh, they concluded in uh, last August um, that uh, the St. Petersburg-based internet research agency used social media to conduct an information warfare campaign designed to spread disinformation and societal division in the United States. Uh, they concluded that uh, this was at the behest uh, and run by the Russian government uh, directed by uh, Mr. Putin, um, and by late 20, August 2016, uh, an official in the uh, office of the <clears throat> Director of National Intelligence uh, had already concluded that the Russians had attempted to intrude in all 50 states in the country uh, based on the extent of their activity. Uh, he told the uh, committee that in his professional judgment, uh, they have to work under the assumption that they've tried to go everywhere because they're, quote, thorough, competent, and good. So that was uh, what was uh, going on. I don't know on. if I'd agree they're good. They're capable, competent, but good? I don't know. Not good. They're kind of, they kind of want a different world than uh, I and my colleagues, I think, who believe in democracy want to kind of have. So. Well, yeah, I don't think that was uh, good. Good versus evil. I think. I think because that was. They're good at it. They're yeah. good. At, they're good at it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt, Pat, that the, the, they're up to this, and there are others that are up to it as well. I mean, it's not the, the Russians are the primary motivators of this kind of thing, but there are other actors in the world that are using it, and it's frankly, it's a wild west out there on the on the web. What, what what you do and how you do it, who has whose data, who can control what. Um, I think there'll be a lot of stuff coming up. So. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, no, we'll, uh, we'll definitely uh, make the point that this is not only the Russians uh, trying to interfere with 
with our elections. Um, there are many other countries out there that are very capable in uh, cyber warfare and information warfare. And we should probably uh, separate the two that uh, there are people doing things through computer hacking and getting into networks and so forth. And then there's information warfare, uh, disinformation, sowing, uh, discord, um, and we'll talk a little bit about that and what's uh, what's coming up here. So this is topic three, current developments in the uh, Russian election interference. And we, uh, we took a look at a couple of uh, uh, articles that uh, should be of interest to you. In February of this year, um, there was a report that, uh, and this wasn't just the Washington Post, this was in uh, all, the, all the papers, that a senior intelligence official told lawmakers that Russia wants to see uh, Trump reelected. Um, so this, this was an appearance uh, before uh, Congress by an official named Shelby Pearson, and uh, she was briefing uh, Congress, and, and she mentioned that uh, the intelligence community had, had concluded that uh, Putin had developed a preference for Trump. And when this uh, made the news that, that uh, the intelligence community had made that statement, uh, President Trump uh, was angry then with uh, Joseph McGuire, who was the uh, acting director of national intelligence. And a couple of days later, uh, he was no longer in that job. So uh, there's some political sensitivity to uh, these reports about uh, Russia's preference for uh, President Trump, at least as far as the 2016 uh, election. And uh, Dick, do you wanna talk a little bit about uh, the article in, in March, uh, Suzanne Spaulding? Okay. Um... So Suzanne Spaulding's at Washington Post, and she was in the past a senior advisor of Homeland Security and, and um, international security programs. Well, and she basically, she writes that the November election is just around the corner, and it's clear the Russian government continues to wage an assault on our election processes. But this has time and you got patience, so finger pointing doesn't help. She said, instead, we've got to get our act together. And this, I, I, in my mind, Pat, I kind of cut this into two different ways in which they interfere. One is by using social media to create uh, realities that are not real, either using bots to, to say something happened when it didn't, snowflakes, various kinds of things, and the other, uh, is to figure out a way to actually go in and mess with voter rolls, uh, mess with voting machines and things of that sort. So both of these things are, are, are an issue. Anyway, um, Suzanne Spaulding is, is worried that this is going on now and basically saying that this has never really stopped since the last elections and the troll farms and the hackers and the advertising campaigns just keep on go keeping on and the russians no longer need to post during russian work days so they they can get it on whenever they want to get it on yeah, I think uh, I think it's important. Um, one of the important elements of this article, and I, and I would recommend this. It's it's a March uh, article in uh, the Washington Post. It's an opinion piece, uh, but uh, it's it's from the uh, analytical uh, assessment perspective of somebody who's worked in uh, in these issues. And and uh, she suggests that uh, Putin's objectives uh, they go beyond elections and and. Uh, 
the same basic narrative. Democracy is corrupt, uh, hypocritical, and chaotic, and that uh, uh, the goal is to convince people not to desire Western-style democracy. And Putin wants to weaken us by exploiting and exacerbating divisions and distrust. And, you know, Dick, now, now in America is uh, uh, certainly a time to, uh, to capitalize on, on the divisions that we have, uh, left, right, red, blue, et cetera. Uh, so he, he's got uh, fertile ground to go after our, our system. And what he's uh, doing is, is sowing distrust. Um, and it, it makes it harder to galvanize and sustain public support uh, for actions that might uh, prevent Russia from acting in ways that undermine U.S. interest and security. Yeah, they're not just doing it to us, Pat. They're doing it in many other parts of the world, particularly in, in Europe. Yeah. Um, they basically, early on in the past, they shut down Estonia, their entire net for a while. So the, the Baltic countries, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, have probably now got some of the best cyber defenses that are out there because they have been dealing on the front lines with the Russian hackers for such a, such a long time. Yeah. And Russia also has... Uh, RT, which is Russia Today, you know, they're, they're able to broadcast in the United States and then subtly push their propaganda and their idea of doing things. And part of the, the and desire... Sputnik. And Sputnik, yeah. Uh, part of the desire, I think, on Putin's side is to, to cause doubt on our basic institutions, such as well, you can't really trust the courts. You know, this is all fixed. Elections are fake. You know, you can't really trust the, the, that when you go to vote, your vote's going to count. All of this has a pernicious effect on the psyche of the American body politic. Right. And he's gone after the courts and the media. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's uh, a lot of it is in plain sight, as you mentioned, uh, the propaganda elements of, of uh, the Russian government, Sputnik and um, RT. Uh, and a lot of it is uh, people have been hired to uh, act on social media. Russian bots are uh, replicating attacks. Uh, in 2016, uh, they sought to uh, sow division between the races. Um, yeah. So, you know, we have to be on guard for this. And, and uh, I think uh, the bottom line is, is, as you kind of put it, the, our democracy is under attack. And, and what are we going to do about it? Right. How do we how do we maintain our liberty and our freedom and our rule of law and our basic institutions and all the things of which Americans are proud and at the same time fight back against this new threat that's out there that's really coming at us? So. Well, Spalding, Spalding concluded that uh, uh, Americans must understand what Putin hopes to achieve. Uh, it's not just about which candidate Russia may support, that uh, all of democracy is under attack uh, by yep. the Russian government. And as you mentioned, Dick, it's not just the Russians, but we uh, we must all fight to defend it, uh, as Spalding says, uh, to hold our institutions accountable and believe in our power to bring about change. Make sure you vote. Uh, know there may be disruptions and claims of corruption. Insist on an impartial process and uh, accept the outcome of elections. So we have to be smart about our, our democracy yeah. and protect it. Well, to link it back into the, the COVID-19 issue, uh, that, that virus is still going to be here when we have our election. And I was heartened to see, I got uh, in the mail here in Davidson County from the election board, that they're urging people to request absentee ballots so that they don't have to go into the polling station and 
risk infection. So we've got a long way to go as to getting prepared and how we uh, across the country, because elections are basically decentralized and it's the county election official that has to run the, the gears and the machinery. But it's gonna be a, a difficult and interesting time. Uh, for sure. Well, let's turn to topic four, uh, China-US relations. It's an election year. We have a global pandemic. What could go wrong? Well, <laughs> <laughs> what could go right? Uh, um, uh, what, who was a Pogo? We've met the enemy and he is us. Uh, yeah. Something yep. like that. Well, you had a, you had a webcast on this uh, last week, right? When I was uh, not, not available. We did. Our, our evening program, the global uh, uh, dialogue, was a conversation with uh, two specialists on China, um, Jeremy Goldcorn, who's the uh, uh, editor-in-chief of a terrific website called uh, SUPChina.com. That's SUPChina.com. Take a look uh, just uh, as, as another resource on China. Uh, Jeremy uh, lived in China and worked in the media there and, and other uh, uh, adventures. Um, he, Dick, you, I don't know if you, you knew this about Jeremy. He rode a bicycle from Peshwara, uh, Peshwar uh, in northern Pakistan, in Pakistan. Uh, up into uh, uh, the Himalayas. Uh, wow. Uh, over a thousand miles on a bicycle through through that terrain. So It's an adventure. That's my kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, people probably don't know about you that, that you've uh, – what, what's, what's the club? What's the club? Every – Top peak in the U.S. Fifty it's called uh, high pointers. High pointers. Yeah, every state has a highest point, and your goal is to get to them. And some of them, are like Florida and Delaware, they're pretty <laughs> easy to get. To. Others, like Alaska and Montana, they're you know, they're, yeah, they've got to work on those. Things. I'll start with Florida, thanks. But you do get to see the United States. You get out there, you know, set yourself a goal. I'm going to get to the highest point of every state, and then you can start working on continents. You know. You've got, <laughs> Okay. Amazing what you can do. Anyway, back to so, China. So Jeremy uh, is an expert on China, and you should check out his website, subchina.com. He's also a uh, co-host of a, a podcast called Sinica, S-I-N-I-C-A. So check those out. And, and please take a look at uh, the webinar that we did with Jeremy and John Scanapieco. John is um, an attorney at Baker Donaldson. He's uh, chief of their uh, global business uh, section. He's also a member of the Tennessee World Affairs Council board. Uh, the two of them uh, really, it was a tour de force in discussing uh, what's going on in China. So that was our web uh, webcast, our webinar from last week. And you can find that and all of our uh, webinars uh, on our YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash TNWAC. So take a look, uh, look through uh, some of those, uh, especially that one on China was, was terrific. It's good. You know, Pat, in the, in the international arena, sometimes when there's a natural disaster or a calamity or some horrible thing happens in the world, it brings nations together. Uh, they, they tend to realize, well, we're not in this alone. We ought to work together. Let's see if we can find common cause. In coronavirus, it seems that what's happening is China and the United States are spiraling down into an even more acrimonious kind of relationship. Right. And our president is basically taken to personalizing the virus by calling it the China virus. Um, the Chinese have taken umbrage to that. 
Uh, a lot of my Asian friends in the United States are concerned that, that they're being targeted with sort of subtle racism. But the, the United States and China are having a difficult time. What is, what is clear is that the virus did seem to originate in China. What is not clear is, did it come out of one of these wet markets where live animals were being sold? Or is there any truth to the assertion made by members of the Trump administration that it was created in a Chinese laboratory and it got inadvertently released? Now, my reading of almost everybody around the world and watching reputable sources, the idea that it was created is being debunked. And science has the capability to look into the gene, uh, genetic makeup of the virus and to see whether it seems to be a natural or a synthetic one. So, But yeah, it's really I, causing I, trouble between us and the Chinese right now, and we're on a downward spiral. Yeah, as far as the virus, uh, Dick, I think uh, a lot of that was uh, set aside. The Office of the Director of National Intelligence uh, did release a report that uh, the virus, the, that they agreed with the consensus of scientists that the virus was not uh, man-made, that it was a natu naturally occurring. But that yeah. left over the, open the, uh, the possibility and the charges from Secretary of State Pompeo that uh, it may have come from the Wuhan Viro Virology Institute and been accidentally uh, released through infection. Well, and the Chinese have, uh, have also kind of engaged in a little bit of their own mudslinging. There were some reports with some senior Chinese officials that the United States Army had introduced the virus, that we had snuck it in over there somehow. So Right. Well, the uh, the whole episode, uh, it's actually put the, uh, the WHO kind of in the middle of the battle back and forth. And uh, there's there's been some criticism of the WHO, and I think there'll probably be uh, uh, a congressional look into what uh, what's going on in in that case. But uh, uh, the Trump administration has subsequently defunded um, the aid that was going to the uh, the WHO. And uh, frankly, uh, Dick, I, I'm not sure. Uh, well, I'm pretty sure that now is not the time to. Uh, pull the pull the plug on the WHO as far as supporting uh, the work that it's doing. Uh, there are there are countries around the world that don't have a center for disease control. They have the WHO, so uh, exactly they right. they uh, they perform uh, an invaluable function in in countries that are dealing with uh, COVID that uh, don't have uh, other resources. But yep. uh, let's uh, let's take a, a look. Um, if we can, Dick, at uh, what some uh, polling results showed about um, U.S. views on China, and this was a uh, this is from a Pew study that was done in uh, March of 2020, uh, from the beginning to the end of the month. So, oh, yeah. um, people uh, obviously, and and it didn't start in you know as a result of the pandemic. Uh, the trend has been for some time that uh, Americans were increasingly negative about uh, China. And uh, as you can see in, in this slide, the, the numbers uh, unfavorable uh, climbed to 66 and favorable is uh, bottomed out at 26% uh, of those surveyed. Again, this was March 3 to 29. So the, the coronavirus uh, was, uh, it was certainly a factor, uh, but um, uh, clearly, this uh, didn't just start um, in, right. uh, as a result of that. 
Um, you can see here that um, uh, Americans see China as a major threat. The, the, uh, the numbers are expanding over the last couple of years. And there's been a lot of conversation about national security issues, um, the South China Sea, the, uh, the claims about Taiwan, uh, conflict with Japan over uh, island claims, um, the, uh, the growing size of the, the Chinese military. So that's uh, definitely on, on people's minds as well. And uh, here's an uh, indication of what, uh, what Americans uh, say that uh, the US is compared to China in terms of the leading military power. 83% uh, of Americans see the United States as the leading military power and 6% uh, say it's China. And the percentage who say it is better for the world uh, if this or that uh, is the world's leading power and 91% of Americans uh, believe that uh, China is uh, uh, not positioned to be in that role. How does that, is that worldwide data or is that just United States? These are, these are uh, uh, Americans, a survey okay. of uh, uh, U.S. adults uh, conducted yeah. in March. Uh, Americans see the U.S. as a global leader and they have major doubts about uh, China. 71% uh, have no confidence in President Xi Jinping. 66% as shown on that first uh, graph uh, have unfavorable views of China and 62% uh, believe China is a, uh, uh, a major threat. Its power and influence pose a threat. So uh, some, some interesting uh, uh, metrics uh, to consider uh, as we uh, understand better what uh, is going on in the relationship with China. I think, you know, some of this started to come to a head uh, uh, Dick, with the uh, the trade and the uh, uh, tariffs, and you know, it, it was uh, a reaction to Finger economic pointing. issues yeah. as much as uh, national security issues. Although national security is a component of that, uh, but we uh, we do have to look at uh, at the economics of uh, what's going on between the United States and China. Well, the economics is part of the whole national security picture. You know, it's not just how many guns or tanks or ships do you have. It's the entire panoply of your ability to project power and project, project your ideals in the world. And the United States has, for the last several years, been backing off being the leader that it had been since the Second World War. And so there was a very interesting article in the New York Times, uh, was it yesterday or today, um, about how the middle powers are taking on the responsibility to try to make the world work a little bit better. And by middle power, we mean not a superpower and not a developing world power, but the middle powers like Australia. And Australia has started its own kind of diplomatic initiative, working with other countries, and in particular, many European countries have got on. And uh, they're trying to build a new kind of alliance by first sort of trying to figure out what went wrong in the early stages of the coronavirus pandemic. Yeah. So they have asked that the WHO under, undertake a strategic long-range study exactly what happened how did this virus get going and how did it get out of the bag, so to speak? And they've, they've initiated uh, other countries working on it. They started by themselves and now many European powers are on board. And I think this has got some real oomph behind it in the long run. It's gonna be interesting to see these middle powers are supporting the institutions you know, like the UN, UN and the 
World Health Organization and various others. Uh, and they have called that for investigation in the, into Beijing. Beijing is very upset with that. And they don't think that they should be investigated. But part of the, the, the issue is if the United States is not going to lead, uh, who can they rely on? So yeah. they got to do it themselves. Yeah, I, I think this could be a, an interesting um, trend in uh, in the global landscape of of uh, institutions and uh, participation. Um, I believe Australia. They, I know they're in the G20. Are they? They're not a G7 nation. Um, no, they're, they're G20 nation, I believe. Yeah, um, and and the Europeans are. Some of them are represented in in the G7 and, and many more in the G20. But I, I think this could be a trend as we do see uh, China uh, emerging with kind of a different face than it, it had over the last decade um, in terms of how it deals with, with its international responsibility. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, tr traditionally, uh, Australia has been one of our strongest allies and for the last seven decades uh, after the, you know, during sure. the Second World War and thereafter, uh, America was the place to turn if there was a problem in the East. And the United States was the defender of transparency and cooperation and democracy and liberal economics and all those kinds of things. And now the Australians are beginning to wonder, uh, can we rely on the United States anymore? Maybe we gotta figure out some other ways of doing things in the world. So it's gonna be fascinating to watch this. Yeah. Well, again, um, I, I think a new trend and, and you're right, we'll have to uh, keep our eye on connections between the middle powers. Yeah, and, and I'm just, you know, I'm thinking of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which basically was designed by the United States to get us closer relationships with the countries of, of Asia and to have them and us all on the same sheet of music relative to how we're going to do trade and how we're going to do protection of workers and all those kinds of things. We pulled out of that unilaterally when President Trump took office. Uh, and 11 of the countries that were part of that have now formed their own Trans-Pacific Partnership. Right. And we're not part of that. So it's, uh, it's kind of a, a sad thing in my point of view that we're pulling back because we are in the world and have to be of the world and we had the capacity to lead the world and we ought to start doing that. Now that's my editorial comment for today there, Mr. Ryan. Well, uh, we're, we're here to comment and uh, provide uh, analysis and, and assessments of what's going on in the news. And, and I think that's a, a pretty fair point that, that America's uh, traditional role as a leader in world affairs is uh, currently uh, starting to uh, erode to a significant extent. Yeah, well, I mean, just go, going back to this COVID-19 thing, uh, Traditionally, if something like this had happened, America would have been the leader to mobilize the world in the response. And that didn't happen this time. And so the result is nobody stepped up and became the leader of that kind of a thing. So um, the, we have to decide what our role is in the world and whether we want to be the leader or we want to be a follower or we just want to try to build walls instead of, you know, moats around whatever we can. Yeah, well, you know, we, we've had uh, conversations about uh, the diminishment of institutions like NATO, the, the president of France has, has said NATO is dead. Uh, the chancellor of Germany has said that Europe must go its own way. 
after the after the pandemic, the United States cut funding to the WHO. Yeah. Uh, we didn't participate in the conversation about uh, how to uh, support funding for vaccine development at, through the WHO. So we may be, uh, you know, if, if a, uh, a vaccine is developed outside of the United States, we may find ourselves uh, knocking at the door trying to uh, participate yeah. in the... Can we have some of that, please? Yeah. Absolutely. So it's a it's it's a team team game. If if you want to if you want to play, you got to take the field. There you go. Have we got any questions this this week, Pat? Well, uh, we have uh, some attendees in the room there, and I do see a question just popped in. Uh, Campbell Lehman, uh, our uh, academic world quest uh, student who is a faithful follower of uh, of ambassador dick bowers in our uh, webinars here uh she asks do you think that china will release more accurate data during the second wave of covid than they did during the first wave um well i i think that a second wave of covid 19 may emerge from outside of china and i think it's going to be uh, in a place where, you know, like um, Italy or Korea or someplace where they had an outbreak and uh, it, it spread, well, Iran was another epicenter of, uh, of spread. Um, so I, I don't think a second wave of COVID-19 will emanate from the same place that the first one did. And I think the international community uh, is uh, is on the lookout for uh, breakouts and mutations. Uh, so it's going to be an inter international play in, in my understanding of how they uh, they track down these uh, uh, pandemic um, outbreaks. What, what do you think, Dick? Well, one of the one of the casualties in this whole thing has been the truth. I mean, when you have a pandemic of this sort, one of the first things you try to establish if you're going to be the leader in this is trust and truth. And you, you always tell the truth. You don't politicize things. You don't try to cover stuff up. Because uh, if you lose the confidence and the trust of the people you're trying to lead, you're not going to go where you want to go. So my sense is uh, the Chinese are going to use their political power and their ability to control the media so that they maximize their political leverage on this. And this is what they've always done. So in the West, I, I would hope we don't do that. I would hope that we speak truth to power and let the science drive us where we need to go. Sure. Any, uh, any more questions from, uh, from our attendees? Um, we uh, we will be wrapping up here shortly. Uh, Dick, any any other observations on what's uh, going on in the world besides our five topics? Uh, you know, COVID seems to be dominating the news. But, yes, uh, I, I I was thinking about how if I had been a smart guy, uh, I would have invested in a lot differently six months ago. So, Zoom in, stock in, in particular, <laughs> yes, particularly in the Netflix. Uh, I, I would imagine the Netflix is getting a lot of good things. And one of the things basically that I, I like about Netflix, Netflix has a fair number of international programs. 
So you can watch Korean soap operas. Uh, right now I'm in the middle of the siege of Constantinople, which is, uh, you know, takes you back to the 1400s and things of that sort in the Ottoman Empire. So there's a lot of things to pick and choose from. And I would just urge you to kind of pick the good stuff. <laughs> well, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll second that. There's, there's a, uh, a wealth of uh, options of things that, um, uh, can occupy our time. Um, I'll mention again the the virtual the virtual globe email that we put out every Monday, which uh, lists the um, programs that are being put on by World Affairs Councils around the country. Many of them uh, are free. Some of them ask for a, a minor donation uh, for their World Affairs Council. And I will uh, I will pitch uh, our World Affairs Council uh, a little bit here. Uh, for those of you who uh, are not members, please consider becoming a member. Uh, if you're not ready for a, a membership, perhaps you could uh, make a donation. We do have a text to give on your phone. If you uh, text give and then the number of whatever your your gift would be to 844-959-2934, uh, we would appreciate uh, your support to make programs like this uh, this happen. So, Dick, um, another week, Pat. Another week. Uh, we're uh, we're under our under the time limit. I am sorry I didn't bring the pulchritude and the wonderful visual presence that Marietta brought. But uh, no, no, no. You were you were just I fine. We good. <laughs> <laughs> All the best to you. Have a good week, and uh, God willing, we'll see you next Tuesday. Yes, everybody, be safe and uh, look for the webcast tonight at seven p.m with uh, Carl Dean, he'll be talking with uh, Doug Krulin, the uh, president and CEO of the Metropolitan Nashville Airport Authority. Uh, they are the folks who run BNA. And if you have, haven't been out to BNA, uh, well, not probably not during the pandemic, but uh, prior to, you would have seen uh, quite a lot of working going on there. Uh, it's a BNA Vision, a several year program to uh, increase the capacity and the, uh, the ability of, of BNA to serve as a uh, international gateway for, for Nashville. So that should be a, a terrific uh, webinar tonight at 7 p.m. If you can't catch it tonight live, um, where you can have your questions answered, then you can uh, catch it on uh, youtube.com slash TNWAC. So that's it uh, for me. Thanks, uh, Ambassador Bowers. Uh, Thank you. Be, you you be safe. Hopefully your power will stay on this week. Yeah, I didn't like not having power for four days, so. Uh, okay, well, uh, <laughs> hang, hang in there. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week.